You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Peggy. Uh-huh. This is it? Yep. That's the whole thing right there. A little teeny script this time. What's yeah. this? Well, that's the uh, sexual position. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, because there's a three-way scene. You like, know, in all these years, did you always do that? Always. I can't express my delight in having Joseph Sarno here with us tonight. His career spans at least 75 feature films. He has worked both in Europe and in America. He is not just one of the true auteurs of the sexploitation genre, but a notable and distinctive American filmmaker of any type and of any era. I'd like to welcome Joe Sarno with his wife, Peggy. If you want to make this film, whether it's in California or New Jersey, you're not feeling well. You never complain. You're getting older. That's for sure. Right. Listen, a guy who can sit down at a typewriter Monday and Thursday morning hand you a finished script, all broken down, which could be done in budget, with the talent, what are you going to say? To me, breathing is the answer to a sexual situation. And if I could get people to breathe sexually, I'd get a hot film. And then the women got on it and wrote it. It, it was able to... Oh, the two phalluses fell right out. <laughs> that was a mistake. I think Peggy and I, we grew very close. The first film we made and fell in love. Joe said to me, you have to choose between me and your mother. I wasn't very keen about Peggy marrying Joe. We were very proper people, and Joe wasn't. I don't think we'd still be married if we never came to Sweden. I was never ashamed. It's like, you know, certain things you don't tell Americans. But now I do. I always did. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Here with me, of course, is Mr. Rob St. Mary. Hello, hello. This week we are doing a little bit of a special here about The Sarnos, a life in dirty movies. It is a new documentary by Victor Erickson, just showed at the Cinekink Film Festival in New York, and it is making its way around to different fests and will be on DVD sometime this year. And just wanted to let folks know about this pretty darn terrific documentary. I think that this 
documentary, Mike, um, as we discussed after we watched it, you know, offline before we recorded the show, to me, it would be a great sort of double feature with Jordan Tatarov's um, Dad Made Dirty Movies about Stephen Apostoloff. That's a little more flashier at times and things like that. But I think both of them really have a nice, intimate portrait of what it was like making those films, the sort of sexploitation films, uh, in that era, in the 50s and in the 60s. And I think that Erickson's film, The Sarnos, is much more focused on the couple of Joe and Peggy Sarno and sort of how they met and how they influenced each other's lives in various ways and and, and about the films as well. But uh, it, it's as, as much about following the lives of these two people as it is about looking at his, at his film career. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of nostalgia in the film for me. It's more of that relationship between Joe and Peggy and seeing them in these kind of intimate situations, seeing them in their little apartment in New York and just what they have been up to and what they were up to in the late. Oh, gosh, I still don't like that we don't have like a word for the aughts. So in the early part of the 21st century... (laughs) just what their life was like and seeing Joe trying to kind of get back on his feet and make a new feature. And that's the thing that's interesting also. I would maybe also add in a little bit more on the on the hardcore end, but and obviously he had such a broad-ranging career, and we talked about this one as well on the show, is Wakefield Pools documentary. I Always Said Yes by Jim Tushinsky. And I, I would say that a lot of these are kind of together where we're seeing folks – I don't want to say at the end of their lives, but in the case of Joe Sarno, he did pass away in the making of the documentary. Spoiler. Yeah, but um, but that's, that's easy to find. You can find that anywhere. The thing is, is that it is about you know sort of being thirty years, forty years off this period where you were doing this work, and sort of looking back and going, okay. That was that was all fine and well, but sort of how do I live now? And there are moments within this documentary, The Sarnos, that it's kind of sad sometimes. I mean, because here you have a guy who is trying really hard to make another feature. Uh, he believes he has someone who is going to finance it at one point. Kind of this back and forth, and he's dealing with health issues, and you know the the finances weren't kind of quite there the way they should have been, and you know for him, and 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 all of these things. I mean, just sort of, um, I, I think as a creative person, and, and I think you will agree with this, Mike. We always want to hope that when we get into our our golden years, that there is a little gold to enjoy those golden years and with a case like this guy i mean he made a a lot of movies and it just doesn't seem like um he saw much benefit from it in at least in that way for him when he got towards uh, the end yeah a lot of times he feels just kind of like a almost like a pure filmmaker where he was just out there making films and not really being that smart of a businessman at least that's how it seems to me when they're talking about him in his later years I admire that in some respects, and then at other times it's like, boy, I really wish that he had had somebody to kind of take care of the rest of it. And there are some people that can do both things and do both things very well, and then there's others that can just do one or the other. And with him, I mean, the guy cranked out over 100 movies, but he is not living off of the laurels of those kind of get the feeling that you know coming from the blue collar town that we do he was just sort of a production worker (laughs) you know you just sort of work in the factory and you get paid the salary and that's it you're not getting anything really beyond that 
the other part of the film that I like a lot, you know, there's a few arcs going on in the film, and one of them is this kind of family relationship that Joe's wife Peggy has, uh, especially with her mom, and talking about how her mom wasn't really happy with her being with Joe when they first got together way back in the 60s, and that that same feeling lasts 40, 50 years later, you know, all the way up into this film. I was kind of surprised to see that Peggy's mom was still alive when they were making this and just like, oh, wow, if she's this age, how old is her mom? <laughs> you know, and that that still was such a major part of their relationship, this whole almost like a rebellious thing that Peggy had when she was a young lady. And now she still has it all these years later. The other thing that was also nice in the documentary for me to see, because we had talked to Stephen Morowitz from Distrib Picks, and he's the guy who has been restoring all the Radley Metzger films, the Henry Paris films, because he took over his father's company. And Arthur Morowitz, who started his career, I believe it was in the early 60s, distributing a lot of Joe Sarno's work, is in the film. So it's kind of interesting you know, to have his recollection of what it was like during those early early days of the grindhouse theaters and all of that stuff that was going on in New York City at the time. So it's uh, it's an interesting little time capsule as well in terms of that era of of exploitation and and filmmaking and then also sort of where it turns, you know, because you obviously get the feeling with Joe Sarno is much like I remember uh, an interview with Dave Freeman and Dave Freeman who worked with uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis said that basically hardcore killed exploitation because the whole thing about exploitation was about the tease. And once you were showing everything, there was no tease anymore and the business completely changed and you couldn't do what you did before. It basically turned overnight. Yeah. Which we've talked about a, a few times before, as far as the idea of uh, even that shift again, from film in the 70s to video in the 80s and just how that changed the industry one more time. Uh, and I'm sure that there was another big switch when it came to the internet. But that whole idea of storytelling and that storytelling was still going on in the 70s a lot more than it was in the 80s when it was just much more of a, you know, let's get this sex scene on, on film and, you know, film it from four different angles and then move on to the next sex scene. So and now it's much more of a, I'm sure, of a clip-based kind of thing. So it's, you know, you go from the the tease to sometimes the gynecological, but at least there's still story there. And then you're moving on to, you know, just scene after scene. And now it's just, okay, download your favorite clips from uh, porn tube or whatever. Yep. It is the, um, the evolution or de-evolution. I don't know which way you want to <laughs> think of it. I was really glad to see Jamie Gillis show up in this. I, that kind of let me know, when this film was being shot because uh, I was actually um, in New York at Seneca Kink a few years ago when I heard the news that Jamie had passed away. So it was nice to see him show up um, on film probably in one of his last few interviews. Yeah, and there's a great uh, interview with uh, Jamie Gillis on the uh, speaking of Disturbed Picks, the opening of Misty Beethoven set that came out about a year ago and also our good friends over at the Rialto Report uh, put out, I believe it was the last interview that he did, uh, Ashley West did with uh, with Jamie Gillis and that, that episode's quite good so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that and you're interested in Jamie Gillis, that's I would say the two places to go. 
And of course, we'll be talking a lot more about Jamie Gillis in a few months here when we do our episode on the film Water Power. Yeah, which uh, is very, uh, <laughs> very sleazy 1970s. And, uh, but it'll be fun nonetheless. Yeah, definitely worlds away from the films that they really spotlight in this uh, Sarno documentary, where yeah. there were much more of, um, you know, talking about the uh, grindhouse to the art house. This one was, these films were definitely much more in that art house vein. Yeah, and I think much the way that I remember reading stuff about how Russ Meyer's films in the early and mid-60s were considered really out there sex-wise, especially, I mean, you look at something like Faster Pussycat, and you look at it now, and you're like, you could put this on primetime TV. It's not that risque. And I think it's sort of the same thing with Sarno's work in that period. It's it's a much softer, easier uh, thing. I mean, I think you could even show it to your grandmother and she wouldn't be offended nowadays. So it's uh, it's very different than uh, what we would consider, quote-unquote, adult film of even, I think, 10 years after or maybe even 15 years after after the, the, the main work that he was doing. I mean, if you look at the main – the work he was doing in the mid '60s, and then compare that against you know ten years later, once hardcore really gets established. I mean, those are two different uh, worlds in terms of adult film. I, I know for me, I want to track down some of these Sarno films. I definitely want to see some of the the '60s and '70s films. But there's a few that he made in the nine, '80s and into 1990 that I want to see very much, including um, "Screw the Right Thing." And the erotic adventures of Bedman and Throbin. Those sound <laughs> right there, almost as good as Twenty One Hump Street. The screw the right thing. Um, you know, I, I I wonder what gets thrown through the window of of Sal's pizzeria in that one. So how did I do in the course? <laughs> My dear, you give wonderful intercourse. Do I get an A? Well, that all depends. Depends on what? Depends on how much of my input you'll take. <laughs> well, I didn't know that comparative literature could be so, so satisfying. Mm -hmm. Well, my dear, I like to think that it's all in how I put it to you. And uh, I can tell you this, the subject only gets better and better. Ooh, I can't wait to next semester, that's for sure. I'll bet you can't. Oh, yes. But the other thing with the documentary, and as you'll hear in the interview with uh, Victor, is he really did focus on them as a couple. And the one thing I, I told you I kept hoping for was Joel M. Reed to show up. And the reason why I wanted to hear from Joel M. Reed about Sarno was he talked a little bit to us about it when we did Bloodsucking Freaks. But Sarno had produced Joel's first film, Career Bed and 68 and it would have just been interesting to hear what he had to say about uh, about joe sarno maybe a bit more than what he told us so yeah and any interview with joel m reed is a fun interview to hear yeah he's one of the the best interviews that i have to say that that we've had on the show if you uh, haven't seen bloodsucking freaks and then uh, listen to that episode you just do yourself a favor and do that all right, so let's go ahead and, and play back the interview that we did with Victor Erickson, the director of The Sarnos, A Life in Dirty Movies. My name is Victor Erickson, and uh, I'm a screenwriter primarily, and uh, also a director nowadays. But I worked as a screenwriter for many years in Sweden. This is my first 
documentary. I didn't really intend to make a documentary ever. <laughs> I just stumbled into it. Well, basically, I'm a, I'm a Swedish um, screenwriter and director. So how did you first get exposed to the Sarnos? It's actually from my screenwriting, because uh, I was supposed to write a screenplay about the making of one of Joe's Swedish films, a film that is kind of a cult classic in Sweden, even though no one in America has really heard about it. It's called Fäbuyantan in Swedish. It's a porno film that he made in 1978. And it's uh, it, it's primarily known in Sweden because it's really bad. The acting is terrible and, uh, you know, people watch it and laugh. So I was supposed to write a screenplay about the making of that film. And uh, we were in New York, me and my wife, and uh, we met Joe and Peggy and uh, spent the afternoon with them. And I just fell in love with them about a year later i started shooting them that became this film it was one of life's coincidences really i didn't really know anything about joe before that except for that one film which is wasn't you know that that film is not really your typical joe sarna film in any way it's by far you know it's not one of his best anyway <laughs> it's 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 not a really great film so when you first started digging into his background and getting into, you know, moving beyond this one film, as you said, that's rather notorious uh, in Sweden, what did you find? I mean, were you pleasantly surprised or did you find that it was, you know, this stuff was sort of relegated to history and that's kind of where it should have stayed? I mean, my favorite films of his is the 60s films, the black and white ones, some films like Sin in the Suburbs, which I think is a really nice little film where the story, you know, holds together and uh, it's the cinematography is nice and uh, the acting is, is, I mean, is quite okay. And, uh, and a film like uh, All the Sins of Sodom, which I think is visually really interesting, Vibrations, um, those those early ones, and maybe some of the later ones as well, uh, like um, Abigail Leslie's Back in Town, and those he made in the in Amityville in the mid seventies. Those are really nice films, and are really kind of idiosyncratic and weird, and uh, you know they don't really look like what you would imagine porno films to be like. I mean, that's where I basically started. I didn't really know that much about softcore and all that that whole genre. So to me, it was a surprise how advanced the films were in, you know, both visually and also the kind of stories he told, which were really psychologically complex. And my documentary is really, it's a portrait of Joe and Peggy, and it's also about his films. And that was clear for me from the start. So it was always my interest in Joe really came about from my interest in Joe and Peggy as a couple. And as, uh, I mean, I, f- I felt they could really be an in- two interesting characters to follow in a movie. It started with them, really, not with his films. But, I mean, I really appreciate his films, those uh, black and white ones and some of the late ones. Just to set a timeline, when did you first start looking into this stuff and when did you first really get them to agree to, to do the documentary and start shooting them? It's so strange because, I mean, though, you know, I've been making this film for such a long time now or I made, I was working on the film for like five years or something. So I think it's about five years ago we started filming them. So it's been a really long long journey and uh of course i got to know more about joe's filmmaking as i was making the film as i was filming them and it started out you know as a quite a different film because when we started shooting uh joe and peggy joe was still kind of okay he wasn't his health was really deteriorating at the end 
So in the beginning, I thought it would maybe become a film about him making this last film of his. But, uh, you know, his health got worse and worse. And I realized that uh, it should it should probably be a different kind of movie, kind of uh, uh, more like a Don Quixote kind of movie about this guy that's trying to do this impossible project, making a film while he's quite old and and no one really cares about his kind of filmmaking anymore. So it became a different film than it started out as. One of the comparisons that's made in the film, it's brought up several times, that I think he discusses uh, the influence of Bergman, and obviously you being a Swedish uh, filmmaker and director, do you see the parallels? Do you find it interesting that he was able to take this sort of, you know, what we would consider kind of high art ideal and put it into um, softcore film? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there is obvious, obviously an influence from Bergman there uh, in the way he shoots dialogue scenes, for instance, and there's also some of the same themes that Bergman deals with. Um, but he was also influenced by other filmmakers of that period. I mean, all the sins of Sodom is really influenced by Antonioni on Blow Up, I think. And uh, and those were the films that Joe and Peggy went to see in those days. And that's, of course, interesting when you watch his films, that the influence come from European arthouse cinema, uh, not really other erotic films, really. That it, you know, it has very little to do with Ross Meyer's filmmaking, for instance. It's, it's like a whole completely different genre that Joe is working in. But the influence in Bergman is also funny. There's, there's, we had We interviewed a lot of... Swedish people for the film and uh, we ended up cutting them out of the film because it became more of an, uh, an American angle to the film uh, but I interviewed um, Ingmar Bergman's old uh, continu- continuity girl Katinka Farago and she told me a really funny story one winter she was working on Cries and Whispers and she didn't really have any money when she left that job because it was coming on Christmas and uh, she needed money for uh, gifts for for, the, for her kids. And she only had one other job offer, and that was a film called Every Afternoon, which was supposed to be shot at this castle outside of Stockholm. And she kind of knew that there was something a little bit weird about this project, probably some kind of sex film or something. And uh, but she she really needed money for Christmas, so she 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 thought, well, what the hell? I'll take the job. So she took the job and went out to this castle where they were supposed to shoot the film, and this was of course one of Joe's films. And the whole crew from Cries and Whispers were there. Everyone had taken the same job, so there is a <laughs> there is kind of a. Uh, Bergman and Joe Sorna might, you know, Bergman might have known about Joe Sorna because some of the people that worked on Ingmar Bergman's films worked on Joe's films because Sweden is such a small country. So uh, everyone is really in the film business desperate for another job, really. So, and, and also Joe's films kind of paid pretty well and they were paid money in hand, didn't have to pay tax or anything. There is there is a connection between Bergman and uh, and Joe in many ways. Yeah, you know, for a while there, the term Swedish films was almost a euphemism for pornography, yeah. at least in the United States. Why was that? Was Sweden just like a hotbed of porn, or was it just that uh, we got some imports? It's really strange because as a Swede, uh, Denmark has always been uh, a more liberal country when it comes to pornography and uh, 
sexual imagery. Um, they, 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 they're much more advanced in that way, uh, and still are. I mean, Nymphomaniac couldn't. You now that film was has been made in Denmark. It could never really be made in Sweden. I think. I think it has to do with some early Swedish films that kind of gave Sweden that reputation. And um, Someone with Monica, which is one of uh, uh, Ingmar Bergman's early films. I can't really remember the English title uh, or the American title, but it contained a lot of nudity and skinny dipping and things like that. And I think the nudity part, probably Americans confuse that for sex. There's not a lot of sex in it. I mean, there's sexual undertones, of course, but there's not a lot of sex going on in those films. It's just nudity, really. And Swedes have a are okay or used to be okay with people swimming in the nude and being naked in front of each other. So I think maybe it had a little bit to do with that. And of course, um, I'm Curious Yellow, which was a huge uh, film in America and uh, contained both nudity and some sex, even though it was really just a political film. And in Sweden, no, no one really went to see the film because of the sex, just because of the political issues that the film dealt with. Sweden really doesn't deserve the, to be called, a, you know, the, the whole concept of Swedish sin is a little bit of a myth, really. But, you know, it's okay. <laughs> In the documentary, you have several different uh, retrospectives or um, honorariums that, that Joe goes to. Can you talk about some of those and what he sort of saw uh, in that era when you were when you were um, filming them for the documentary in terms of what people were saying about his work, how they were maybe coming to appreciate it uh, more in his older years? We only really went to one of those retrospectives. Oh, well, we went to one in Lund as well, at the University of Lund in Sweden, and uh, the one at the BFI, the British Film Institute. And people, I mean, I guess it's... Uh, an acquired taste in a way those films it's not the general public that turns up at those events it's people who are interested in uh, genre film really and uh, but I mean they really I mean there was really a kind of a growing appreciation of Joe's films and I think he really really felt that at, he really appreciated the feeling that finally someone was giving him some kind of recognition for those films even though in a way when he was making films he was just making one film after another and he never really looked back so he had a hard time uh, talking about his films which was hard when we were making the film if you asked him about a film he always said oh that was a great little flick and uh, it was hard to get him to talk in some in a little bit more depth about uh, why he made the film and how he fought and things like that. So I think he really enjoyed being seen as an important filmmaker in his genre at that late stage in his life, even though I don't think he he wasn't consciously craving that. I don't think he did. I just think he appreciated feeling that he had spent his life doing something worthwhile. Joe Sarno, at least according to the IMDb, had directed 121 different films. How many of those do you think that you've seen? Well, only a small, I, I, you know, a small percentage of those films. I have, especially the hardcore films, I haven't seen all of those. Um, I mean, I've seen a couple of them just to get an idea of what they're like. I mean, he did a lot of films in the 80s, video on video. They're quite, quite bad. They're interesting, though, because um, you can still feel that Joe is trying to make his old kind of films. 
even though he has no budget and no actors and no there's some of the films where there's only voiceover explaining the plot basically so there's still a plot but he doesn't doesn't really have time to shoot the dialogue scenes or anything uh, so I, I'm, I, those hardcore films I haven't seen. I've seen just about everything that's out on DVD, basically. I've seen a few others that, at the retrospective in in uh, London, they showed, they screened um, "Come Ride My Pink Horse." So I've seen a couple of other ones, but basically the ones that are out on DVD, I've seen. He seems so much uh, from the film and the discussion that for him this was i mean there was an artistic element to it but he wasn't one of these guys it's like oh i'm going to take five years to develop this picture and do this it was like no i'm going to do five films in a year and there really is sort of this i don't want to say factory element but almost sort of what we would say in america i guess maybe a real blue collar work ethic where it's like you go in you do the work you you know you get it and then you do the next one and um did is that what you found was sort of how he how he related to his work is you know i it was just work or that there was more to it than that i think he almost unconsciously put things in his films because as i said it was really hard to make him talk about these things why did you do that why did you do this and he couldn't really explain it and uh, when i suggested something he said oh that was i think that was it uh, he was so it's it's kind of hard to know why he did certain things a certain way um and definitely it was a factory he did so many films in such a short period of time so 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 he was just making one film after another and the films are more or less alike uh, the same basically the same story same conflict same themes but they were very much his themes his so there was a personal in that way he really was an auteur i think uh, to me I, I thought about him a little bit like scorsese talks about smugglers like b filmmakers in hollywood who did films very quickly very cheaply and at the same time were able to put a personal touch to them. And I think Joe was one of those filmmakers. that He did films for a very commercial market, but he was able to put something of himself in them, even though the producers didn't really care about that. As, as long as there was enough sex and uh, you know the things that the audience craved, they didn't really care that he did what he did. But I'm not sure how... Maybe if I met him when he was younger, maybe he was he would have been more able to talk about why he did uh, certain choices. I never really knew if he was a very conscious filmmaker or just someone who did whatever he felt like and didn't think too much about it. I mean, John Waters says something about him being almost, you know, someone who doesn't really know what he's doing, but at the same time, it turns out pretty well. Well, when it comes to Sarno, he doesn't seem to be one of these guys who just toots his own horn all the time or anything. Was there much historical footage of him being interviewed or anything like that? Not really. I mean, there there was one interview that was done many, many years ago, incredibly strange, in an incredibly strange films. That was a pretty good interview. In that interview, I felt like he was quite good at explaining his idea of what his films should be about or what they were about that interview was influential uh, on me making the film but there was no f- old footage of him i mean on i mean on some of the dvds there's some footage but there's not really old footage and it was that was really a quest trying to find footage of joe directing which was impossible we found stills but now 
we've actually uh, found some footage of him directing uh, a film called Young Playthings, uh, which is going to be um, on DVD in Sweden this spring, I think. But that was found after we finished the film. So One of the things that comes up in the film that you did is that you know when we think about sex exploitation or hardcore film there's often this feeling that the director is kind of a sleazeball and very male centered but that doesn't seem to be the case with his work it seems to be that he was more focused on women than on men yeah for sure as far as i can tell he was always a, a, a real professional making those films and he was very appreciated by the crew especially by the Swedes that worked with him. Everyone had very fond memories of Joe and Peggy. Part of it was that he was an older guy when he started making these films. He wasn't like, you know, in his 30s. He was in his 40s. So um, I think he was a very mature person when he made these films, and he took it very seriously. So he wasn't wasn't like one of those directors that was hitting on the girls and uh, trying to sleep with them and whatever. He, uh, even though he, I'm sure he had a lot of girls when he was younger, um, a lot of women. But um, no, he was. He took it very seriously, and he was very focused on on the female characters. And uh, that's also something he he shares with Bergman, of course. Bergman is a uh, very much. Uh, there's a lot of strong female characters in Bergman's films, and there are a lot of strong female characters in uh, Joe's films. The women are always kind of the protagonists of the films. And there's the men are like uh, in the background, not as developed as characters. And of course, he was also very interested in filming female sexuality and, and uh, the female orgasm, uh, which was something that he did in a lot of films, kind of focusing on the face, focusing on women's pleasure. And that was also something that set him apart from a lot of other filmmakers of that era. And there's not a lot of violence in Joe's films. I mean, there's there's some, but not a lot of violence. And if you compare him to Russ Meyer, which you know, he has a lot of violence in his films and a lot of kind of... Joe's films are softer, more... The violence is more psychological, if there's any violence. So the film just recently opened up the uh, Cineking Film Festival here in New York in, uh, for uh, 2014. Where else has it played, and where else do you see it playing over the next few months or a year? Well, it play, it's played here in Sweden, and it's played. Uh, it had its international premiere at the London Film Festival, and um, it's going to be screened. Uh, it was screened in New York this fall as well at the uh, Doc NYC. And uh, there's a couple of festivals that's going to screen it now. Um, Argentina, um, weird places that I never thought it would be played, where I never thought it would be screened. It's it's strange when you're making a film, you never really contemplate that your film will be screened in Argentina or Taiwan or places like that. But there are a lot of interesting festivals coming up. And then, of course, it will be released theatrically and uh, on DVD and on video on demand and everything in uh, the U.S. uh, this summer. As for um, Joe's archive of stuff, I mean, one of the things that's brought out in the film is that uh, he was sort of a gun for hire. He wasn't an independent producer, so he didn't control a lot of his own product that he was creating. Um, Any ideas to where, you know, his films reside? You know, what happened to his scripts? Uh, Is anyone interested in taking his archive from his his family in some way and holding it and so 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, he made a lot of notes. Uh, as a screenwriter, I was really impressed with his scripts. He wrote extensive biographies on all the characters, character bios, and things like that. Things I've never come to, you know, I'm, I'm not that. <laughs> I don't really care about those things. I just started writing. So he has a lot of notes, a lot of uh, old scripts and the stuff. Peggy has those, both in Sweden and in New York. I don't know. Maybe someone is interesting in it, uh, interested in it. I mean, Michael Bowen, that, uh, he has spent a lot of time researching Joe, so I'm sure he, he will be interested in taking care of some of that stuff. We took care of some of the stuff in the cellar in Sweden, some old uh, film rolls and things like that. Um which contained uh, young playthings. Yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff, but I, I don't know. It's just, it's really up to Peggy to decide what's going to happen with it, I guess. I was curious as far as who you tried to get on camera but were unable to get. Mostly Swedes, actually. Uh, it was really hard getting Swedes to be in the film. It didn't really turn out to be a problem because we cut out all the Swedes. So, um, But I'm trying to think. Yeah, well, we were trying to get Quentin Tarantino to be in the film, and we've been in touch with him through his ex-girlfriend, who's now, I don't know if they're together anymore, because she was involved in the scandal. So, I guess him. Uh, otherwise, I don't think we tried with anyone and failed. I think we got the ones we wanted. As for the DVD, you said that uh, it should be coming out this summer in the States. Um, will any of these extras, these extra interviews, extended interviews, things like that, be added in, or...? Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll put a couple of extras on the DVD. There's a lot of, there's especially a lot of interview material. It's hard because uh, we can't really put everything on there because it's going to be too much, really. Um, so we, we're putting together a couple of chapters, we call them, where we look at certain aspects that the film doesn't really deal with that much. So, uh, yeah, there'll be, there'll be a couple of interesting things on the DVD. I was curious as far as the rights and everything went. I mean... Who did you have to deal with in order to show the clips that you showed? We dealt with uh, something weird and with um, with Mike Rasso's company, Retro Seduction Cinema, and uh, Stephen Merchant's company, Distropix, I think. No, Videopix. I mean, we used the DVDs. So uh, we, we worked with the people that uh, put out the DVDs. Sometimes it's kind of complicated with his films because it's, 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 it's kind of a, you have to do a lot of detective work to find out who really holds the rights. So we, we went to people who claim to have the rights, obviously, because they put out DVDs. So, and we used the DVDs in the film. So. so where can folks go to find out uh, more about the film and when it's coming out on DVD so they can keep track of that? The film is uh, distributed in America by Film Movement. So I think probably the best thing to do is to go to their webpage. So there probably will be an update in the coming months or so about when the film will be out. It's really up to them. They're taking care of that. Uh, but the film will be out on DVD in Sweden this spring. When it comes to other countries, I don't really know. But that's that's what I know at this point. And those who would like to know more about you and your work, where can they find that? Well, I have a web page. It's not that interesting, really. It's just a picture of me in a short bio. But And, and the, the film has a web page as well that you can look up. Yeah, I guess those places are the best. Or go to INDB if they want to see what I've done before. Thank you to Victor Erickson for coming on and talking about his film, The Sarnos, A Life in Dirty Movies. And you can find out more about his film and links and such over at our website, projection-booth.com. 
Thanks for listening to this special episode. We hope you get a chance to check out the film and keep watching Dirty Movies. Swedish films?